After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on then. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. It's the middle of March, spring is in the air, warmer temperatures are starting to permeate, things are heating up everywhere, including the National Hockey League, and that's why we have the Scouting the Refs podcast, because Josh, we have plenty to get into this week. Player safety has been busy doing some good and doing some questionable things that we've got to dig into a little bit more, but it it definitely has been a, a busy week. It's been a busy week, and I'm going to go so far as to say player safety has not been busy enough. We'll get into that in a second. Scouting the Rest podcast, of course, welcomes our new sponsor once again, Manscaped. There are special savings for you as well via Manscaped. You just simply have to use the Scouting the Rest code, which is REFS, R-E-F-S, you will receive 20% off your order and free shipping. And over the last week, Josh, I don't know about you, but I think now we've probably both had a good chance to examine the very cool line of Manscaped products that they have sent us and we've received, and that you'll get, of course, that special discount with the code REFS. And I'm discovering something new each and every week. As am I. You know, last week you mentioned the light, which I underestimated the importance of shining (laughs) lights on delicate subject matters and and how much that might come in handy when it comes to personal safety. Safety first. Always remember that safety first. It is user friendly. And, you know, as I mentioned, with the warmer weather coming... Many of us now are maintaining a cool environment for everything that's important to us. And I think that should be top of mind. You know, everybody's been kind of whining about the cold weather the last few months. But now that things are heating up outside, you don't want things to be getting overheated and uncomfortable down below, do you? Absolutely not. And not only does Manscaped give you the tools to do it, but they also give you some product to help maintain and and take care and, and even deodorize that area. You are following my thinking exactly. Clean, concise, trim, of course, keeps the bushes from getting a little too unruly. And the Crop Preserver helps maintain a pleasant environment for everyone in the neighborhood, which is what is very important. It is for everyone in the neighborhood, not just you. (laughs) That is a great point. It's thinking of others as well, Todd. I, I gotta say, the Manscaped folks, as part of the works package, sent along a pair of underwear that are just about the best thing that you'll slip into. It's soft, it's comfortable, it fits right, it holds things in place. The material is specially formulated to allow for breathability. And when you combine all this, it's exactly what you need now. Use the code REFS for your order. You receive 20% off and free shipping. Go to manscaped.com and use the code. Make sure you're following us on our social channels as well. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, we welcome your emails. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. On this week's edition of the program, it's all caps. Not the hashtag that the team likes to use, but the stories of all the caps that have been and perhaps should have been suspended. Josh, in this week's edition, I'm also going to kind of crap on the league and the Department of Player Safety because I think there is time for an overhaul. I, I'm not sure that George Peros is up to the job, nor do I think he is the only issue 
this really seems to be a leave us alone to play our game attitude approach by the teams and the league and the players and everyone involved and just keep giving us your money for tickets and all the rest of it as we go through and push out this institutional coverage that says everything is great. I'm really frustrated. You may have sensed that. now. I, I can tell your frustration with the let the boys play mentality and that there are rules and there are reasons that letting the boys play isn't always the best answer. All right, so let's dive into a few of these particular situations, as mentioned, all caps, to start. First up, Alexander Ovechkin speared Trent Frederick in the Cajones and only received a fine. Yes, it was $5,000, which is an awful lot for you and me. Ovi tips the trainers more than that. This, however, <laughs> is the maximum allowed under the CBA. And honestly, I, I don't care that Frederick was being kind of a quite frankly, and taunting NHL royalty with cross-checks and all the rest of it. Ovi stepped over the line. He should have been punished. He should have been suspended. If, if you'd like to weigh in, I'll justify in a second why I think he deserved to have the book thrown at him a little heavier. I agree that he should have, and I know we've talked about the differences between spearing and slashing before on this podcast, and to me, that, Todd, is the reason why. The minor penalty he got was for slashing. This was clearly a spear. This was a fine issued for a spear, but when we look at the in-game penalties for spearing, if you miss, it's a double minor. If you connect, it's a major penalty. And if you injure a player, it's a match penalty. So I'm looking at that with the major in a game for making contact means you deserve to lose a game for making contact. And at a minimum, if the officials do that on the ice, player safety should take the same approach and say, you made contact, you're missing at least a game. Minimum suspension, one game for making contact on a spear. So if I'm to understand you correctly, it seems that you're saying the punishment should fit the crime. Is that a fair way of expressing it? I'm not suggesting that anyone take some lumber to Ovi's midsection no. here, but I am, I am saying that when a spear is committed, it should be penalized appropriately. And when we've got a rule book that dictates stronger penalties for spearing, we should have a player safety that issues stronger equivalent penalties for the same crime. And if you were to say, take the all-star game off because you're feeling kind of exhausted and you've played an awful lot of hockey and you've always answered the bell and you get suspended because you do, maybe that is unusual that that punishment is more severe than a spear in game? Oh, that is a that is a great point when we're looking at those unbalanced suspensions. Yeah, absolutely. To perform such a, a personal attack on another player that is not a hockey play, that is potentially injurious in its approach, should certainly cost you more than missing an all-star game. Injurious? Oh my, we're really bringing the vocabulary <laughs> this week, aren't we? Okay, I'm liking this. Good stuff. All right, so do we get into the other Tom Wilson, Washington Capitals story right now? Because just the name brings up an immediate reaction to some, I, and I think that's part of the issue here. We did have to tear down the how many games we've gone without a Tom Wilson suspension. So we, <laughs> we scratched out the numbers on that one, started back at zero. Okay, now some love Tom Wilson, some hate him. Many, I think, are somewhere in between. You can't just suspend a player, though, for disliking him. And once we get past that, then we can really start to examine the situation from last week where Wilson gave the hockey world some ammunition for their argument to his value or repulsiveness, whichever you prefer. Brandon Carlo was engaged in the corner with Jacob Verana and looking for the puck to clear the zone. 
It was at precisely that moment Tom Wilson collided violently with Carla. See, that's descriptive without passing judgment. Is that fair? That's fair. Fair so far. Okay. Okay, so he sent him into the boards, down to the ice. That's the straightforward vanilla description. And that seems pretty mild. But when you watch the video, that's when the response becomes more emotional. Is this legal? Is it illegal? Is it cheap? Is it dirty? As Brad Marchand said in the interview during the intermission, it's a bull crap hit. And good for him for speaking frankly about it. In fact, I think that is the first time in the history of, of the NHL <laughs> that a player has actually said anything of substance during an intermission interview. So we'll, we'll give marks for that. Now, so let's, let's look at the hit on the whole. We'll look at NHL discipline or NHL discipline theater, if you prefer, and, and a few other things. So when you first viewed the hit, did you know or feel immediately that it was an illegal hit? Was it a high hit? Was it a headshot? How did you see it? Initial gut reaction, real time, because I, I was watching the game. Illegal check to the head, gone for the game, suspended. Immediately. Right. I mean, uh, to me, and again, this is real time. Before they even showed the replays, I said, he's gone. Wilson's gone. And and then when they showed the replays, I said, all right, I'm, I'm standing by that. He's gone. This is an illegal check to the head. He's done for the game. Because he's been there before on suspensions, we're looking at five plus. So... My gut was, this is going to be punished severely. Were you surprised that there was no penalty called on the ice? I was, uh, I was floored. Even seeing the officials discuss it and the time it took after the hit, I thought for sure they were huddling to decide, is this a major for boarding? Is this an illegal check to the head? I, I figured it was some fine points there that they were just discussing how the hit came in. You know, was it, how do we want to assess this call? I mean, They've got a better spot than I do from watching on TV. So I thought that's what was being discussed. I could not believe that there was no penalty call on the play. It, it honestly floored me, Todd. I was watching the game as well, and it looked like, and I didn't catch which official it was, seemed to indicate that he was, yes, he caught the shoulder or he tried to hit the shoulder of, of Brandon Carlo, and it wasn't directly a headshot, which is the path that player safety went down as they were administering the further justice the next day. It wasn't a hit that they could rule a headshot and suspend for that, so they were looking at calling it boarding. It seems as though there were, there were those trying to, in a sense, redefine what the penalties should be and how they were going to be able to inflict punishment on Tom Wilson and suspend him for a reasonable number of games. I, I don't want to say rewriting the rule book, but trying to establish a new precedent is maybe the way to put it. No, and there are certain situations, and I, I'd say this is one of them, where you've got some room to argue that we have an illegal check to the head, we have boarding. When you look at the rules themselves, that boarding is a player who pushes or checks a defenseless opponent that causes them to impact the boards violently or dangerously. So that happened on this play. And we can also look at the illegal check to the head rule, which talks about a player making contact with the opponent's head where the head was the main point of contact and head contact was avoidable. I found it interesting in player safety's ruling that they did mention direct contact with Carlos' head. They mentioned that he's a defenseless player, which comes up in the boarding rule there. They mentioned that he's able to deliver a legal hit on the play, but did not, which applies to both rules there. So I was a little surprised. I, I really thought this one could have gone either way when it came to boarding or an illegal check to the head. The net outcome is that this is an illegal hit. However, you want to classify it when you've got an illegal check to the head that causes a player to impact the boards violently. But 
I don't want to split hairs here on, on where they called it, but I, I could see an argument for both cases. Surprised to see them dismiss the illegal check to the head, though. And, and I guess I'm puzzled a bit by the phrasing and terms I hear regularly. Main point of contact was the head. Principal point of contact was the head. I never hear a percentage with those, the, however. It's main point of contact, principal point of contact. Did you hit? It doesn't mean you have to hit the head first. Does it mean you have to hit more head than body or a certain percentage? And I think this is also where some confusion comes in for not just me, but everyone who watches the game, watches the replays, watches the rulings, and can't really rationalize it in their own mind. Yeah, there's not necessarily a percentage or a mathematical formula or a way to say how much are we looking at. But I think we can go back to player safety's non-suspension on Tyler Myers earlier this season when the ruling was on a legal check, the head must be the main point of contact of the hit. The head must absorb the brunt of the impact of the hit. So that was how they defined it in that situation. So I, I look at it in this case, even if you made light contact with the shoulder or the chest, you're looking at Carlo's head really taking the brunt of the hit. So to me, based on what player safety told us a few months ago, that does make the head a main point of contact on the hit. And I, I guess again, this is part of the part of the situation I find so difficult to absorb and, and understand. We have confusion in terms of what's a repeat offender, what's not a repeat offender, and I and I understand that it is fairly clearly defined. But there are not there's not a clear expression of the rules on a regular basis by announcers and by the league. There should be more information that is that is turned out. It seems as though we see this kind of hit, not to the severity. But this kind of hit happens far more regularly than should be allowed in the NHL. Is this something else that we need to take a look at and maybe a better and stricter enforcement of the boarding rule? Well, it's concerning because this is what you want to get out of the game. And based on how player safety responded to it, and however they categorized the hit, it's the totality of the hit that they considered illegal in rendering their decision. And yeah, you want this hit out of the game. You need to come down harder on it. And, and maybe you need to more clearly define what it is. But when you've got those types of plays, other than just Tom Wilson, we've got to make sure player safety is really coming down a little bit harder on them. And maybe that means coming down harder on Tom Wilson, who's who's been in double digits before for suspension. So maybe seven games isn't enough in this case. But I do think we need player safety to step up a little bit more if there are certain plays like this, like a non-hockey play spear to the groin that they want to get out of the game. Well, I'll go so far as to say I think seven was chosen partly because it's it's above the five and he was offered an in-person hearing, but it's not so much that he's going to appeal. And I think it's this, we can give him seven and seven will stick. That's a, that's a fair point too. I think it, it, you know, it was good, but is this sending a message to Tom Wilson or is this sending a message to anybody else in the league of, of what types of hits will not be tolerated? Can you come down with a seven game suspension on one guy and really deliver that we won't allow these hits to continue? I don't, I don't think they're there. Here's one more that I read on social media and I'm sorry, I can't recall. I would, or I would give credit for who made this suggestion, but the Tom Wilson suspension shouldn't begin until Brandon Carlo returns to the lineup. I, I've heard that before. I've heard suspension length should be commensurate with the time that an injured player is out. I don't agree. 
I think there are often times when even a legal play has an unfortunate outcome. So I understand looking for that level of justice. I don't I don't think we should go there. Sometimes you have career ending injuries. And does that mean that that Tom Wilson never comes back? Fair. I don't I don't think that's the right approach, but I think the punishment should be severe enough that people aren't bringing this up as a as a question. But that, hey, this type of hit shouldn't happen in the league. This player was seriously injured and. Just on as an aside there, Todd, when you, you mentioned repeat offenders and now we're mentioning injury. So I just want to mention that player safety evaluates the hit to see if it's suspendable or not. Once they've decided the hit was suspendable, then they look at whether there was an injury on the play. And then they look at a player's complete history, not just the 18 months for repeat offender. That only affects salary and how much salary they lose while they're out. But they look at the player's complete history, which they did for Wilson on this play. So they're taking that injury into consideration. I don't think it's fair to have the suspended player be out as long as the injured player is, but let's let's step things up a little bit so that we don't have to bring that argument back up. Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Use the code REFS for your order. Receive 20% off and you get free shipping as well. Okay, there was another situation that occurred that also puzzles me just a little bit. And again, this uh, has something to do with the terminology used, much like the Alex Ovechkin situation. Kyler Yamamoto, the Edmonton Oilers, was fined nearly $4,000 for a slew foot that was renamed a dangerous trip. And it seems as though this is what we've come to now, making the phrasing of offenses a little more palatable or politically correct. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think they should be kind of embarrassed about this. It's a slew foot. If you watch hockey and you're familiar with the terminology, if you can Google Slewfoot, you'll see good definitions of what it was. And that's what Kyler Yamamoto did, but he didn't get penalized for a Slewfoot. Right. And I, I'll give the officials a pass during the game, depending on their vantage point. And the one official was in the far corner there and he's watching the puck and he sees the player go down. He calls a minor for tripping. I'll, I'll give him a pass because ultimately the, the result could have taken place as a trip. In this case, it was a slew foot. And I'm surprised that player safety, given all the time that they have to review the play, considered this a trip. A trip, obviously, is using your stick, knee, foot, arm, hand to cause your opponent to trip or fall. That's, that's pretty straightforward. The difference with the slew foot is you're using your foot to kick his foot out while pulling backwards on his upper body which is precisely what Yamamoto did on this play. So for the fine to come for tripping, when what we actually had on this play was a slew foot, was a, a bit baffling. Baffling is one word. Yes, puzzling is another. Curious, um, see, perplexed. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how deep you want to go into the thesaurus, but th and, <laughs> and this is why I find, whether it's George Peros and those working with him in the Department of Player Safety, I, I don't think they're doing the job properly. And I find that really frustrating. It is. And when you have moments like this, and if you're on the fence with a slew foot, check out at scoutingtherefs.com the article on Yamamoto's fine. We've got the NHL's video rulebook in there with their specific video on what constitutes slew footing. Compare that to what actually happened on the play and, and, and weigh in. Let us know. Is, is, is this not a slew foot? And then I, I would argue that player safety should do the same thing and watch that video and tell us that this is not a slew foot because how are you sending the message of plays that are dangerous and unacceptable if you're not even calling the crime by what was actually committed on the ice? There was another crime committed and there is still a further ruling to be levied. Nashville Predators Carolina Hurricanes contest Preds Dante Fabro crunched Brock McGinn of the Canes into the boards with a hit that is going to get him suspended. 
Fabro comes across the ice as McGinn is collecting the puck along the boards, lifts his elbow deliberately, and hits McGinn in the ear hole of his helmet. McGinn goes to the ice. He gets checked out and has a puzzled look on his face as to what the hell was that all about. I'm a bit disappointed that they did not call a major penalty so that it could be reviewed. There was there was a, a minor penalty assessed for elbowing, but with the tools that we have now, if a major penalty is called, you can review it. And it was Pierre Lambert who was across the ice. The arm did go up immediately, so he's ready to make the call. But, and I guess watching from the different camera angles, I can see how he would not necessarily call a major immediately, but call a major penalty and then you can review it. I, I hear where you're coming from, Todd. And I, I think that it's a reasonable response to the new rule that's in place that allows the officials to do that. But the league and the officials would have to change their mindset to adopt it. The the league and the NHL referees are still calling the game on the ice. And that's the directive is to call the game on the ice. We're not officiating via replay. So we're not going to let that offside play go to see if a goal is scored and, and catch the offside via video review. We're not going to let this play happen and call a major and then decide later via video review. They want them to call it on the ice with what they've seen. So that presents a difficult situation where you've almost got to call the more aggressive penalty if you're on the fence. You, you mm -hmm. can't call the minor and review and upgrade it. You can only downgrade. So as an official, if you're looking to use the tools the right way, you've almost got to change that mindset of like, oh, that looked like a dangerous hit. I'm going to call it the major. And then I know I can downgrade it. And it's just, it's not how the league and the officials are approaching these. But I think in, in this case, it's a high dangerous hit. I would have much rather seen a major or match penalty for an illegal check to the head here review it. And, and if you feel you were wrong, you can always downgrade it to the minor penalty. But uh, there's no question there was a penalty on the play. So to use those tools, they have to call the game differently. And that's a great point that you make. This is a change from how the game has been previously officiated. If you do move in that direction to, to immediately go to the maximum penalty and then work your way backwards, as opposed to accelerating slowly before getting to the more heinous offense. It's not how you, you think about it. You, you're calling the game in that instant. And if that's the call you've seen, then you're assessing it to the best of your ability at that time. But we've got replay. We've got video review. And for rules 26 and 21.5, when the officials get to review those major and match penalties, nobody's taking the call out of their hands. That's still the referee's call to review the play and make his own determination on whether or not he wants to downgrade or maintain that call. So it's not like that's getting handed off to the situation room. And it's nobody questioning whether he's doing his job right. It's merely giving him another way to make sure he's getting the right call and punishing the hit appropriately. Maybe this is something that needs to be addressed. As, and I know that the league regularly sends out video feedback to officials about calls that were made in situations. They try to be communicative with the, the general managers and the coaches and the players as well. But maybe this is just sort of a mindset, as you said, that needs to be, be looked at and a uh, a directive, if you will, needs to be issued to to approach them this way. And everybody's informed of how this needs to happen. Look, nobody wants more reviews, especially unnecessary reviews. But when they come to suspendable offenses that are either getting no penalty call or getting a minor penalty call that we later see result in a multiple game suspension, there's a huge opportunity there to get the call right on the ice. We just need to change our mindset and leverage the rules already in place to make that happen. And, and I think that's where they do need to go. 
One more quick one before we go. You've got the story and some video up on scoutingtherefs.com website. Um, I'm not sure what in the world happened to Travis Howe at Fort Wayne comments, <laughs> but he kind of uh, went off the deep end the other night. It started in pregame. It continued through the game. He had altercations with fans, with players, uh, team staff, just about everybody who was in the building. And it finally resulted in numerous penalties, including some abuse of officials, apparently. There was an obscene gesture that sort of took place across. <laughs> Across the way off the ice, he was eventually corralled by his teammates and removed. I mean, it's serious, but it's also kind of humorous to watch. So go check out the video. Man, if you thought Bennington was having a night, just imagine <laughs> what Travis Howe is. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine what, what the on-ice altercation was that happened during warm-ups that led him to enter the Wheeling Nailers locker room before the start of the game, which was just just incredible. And, and then... They completed the game. He still played. You know, we we kind of let that one go and then held it together, I guess, until the final five seconds when he racked up 22 minutes in penalties. <laughs> Wasn't it recently the anniversary of the release of the movie Slapshot? Maybe he just watched it before. <laughs> you know, you got to get the rest of the team on board, at least, though. You can't do one man <laughs> Slapshot here. Well, but... <laughs> Travis Howe was letting him know he was out there. He certainly did, and now he won't be out there for nine games. So, uh, so sorry, Travis. Nice show, but uh, you're going to have to be on the sidelines for a little while now. Uh, yes, he will be on the sidelines. We will be for a few more days, but back next week with undoubtedly more situations in the NHL to look at in the Scouting the Refs podcast. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS, that's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.